Welcome to another episode of Jamming with Jason. Hey, hey, good to be back with you on a solo episode today where we are going to talk about the biggest band in the world in 1969. Now, you may think you know the answer to that already, but the real answer might actually surprise you. And we're going to talk about and learn some lessons from that band. And we're going to talk a little bit about just sitting on your porch, looking out your back door, and how that just might be exactly what the doctor ordered for you. So with that, strap in, put on your headphones, and uh, let's roll that episode now. You are jamming with Jason Mefford where you hear inspiring interviews with some amazing people. Some are famous, some may seem ordinary, and they are all doing extraordinary things to positively change the world. Sometimes it's just you and me having an intimate and authentic conversation about how you can change the world around you and rewrite the story of your life by being more authentic, accepting and loving yourself more, and spreading love to others. Since really, all you need is love. And what the world needs now is love, sweet love. We discuss all aspects of self-improvement, growth, and so much more. Great content, insightful advice that's practical and helpful to anyone that listens. You're always eager to come back for more and share with your friends and family since you learn something in every episode. So sit back and enjoy the easy listening while you feel seen and heard in this informative, authentic, and entertaining podcast. Now, let's roll that beautiful podcast footage. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about a couple of different things. And uh, so first off, we're going to get into talking about the biggest band in the world in 1969. Now, I know that might be before you were born. It was before I was born, too. Okay. Uh, but 1969 was a huge year for music and especially for rock and roll. Uh, you know, if you remember, that was, you know, there were some big music festivals like the Newport uh, Music Festival and Woodstock, right? I'm sure you've heard about Woodstock before. That was in 1969 as well. Anyway, there were a lot of great bands that were going on. There was a lot of change in music at that time. And uh, so I want to talk about uh, the biggest band in the world at that time. Now, you may have some preconceived notions as to who you think that is, and we're going to get into that here in just a little bit, uh, because I think there's a lot of lessons that we can actually learn uh, from this band and talk a little bit about some of their music, uh, because actually that's uh, one of the titles is the title for today's episode from one of their songs uh, that has been in my head quite a bit the last little while. Now, the reason for that is there's been some changes that have happened in my life, and I'll talk a little bit about uh, some of that as well. Um, but I think, you know, too, that uh, this whole idea of looking out your back door and sitting on your porch uh, in this frantic, crazy world that we live in uh, may actually just be exactly what it is that you need in your life now as well. 
I know it has been in my life, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Okay, so let's get started uh, with the episode. So 1969, who do you think was the biggest band in the world? Was it the Beatles? Was it the Rolling Stones? Was it uh, Jefferson Airplane? Was it Jimi Hendrix? Who was the biggest band in the world? Now, um, I knew what the answer to this was, but again, I'm a nerd when it comes to music. And uh, it got reminded again, just because like I said, for the last, you know, I think I've told you before, but a lot of times when I wake up in the morning, uh, there will be a particular song in my head. And so, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, one song randomly out of the blue. And so I get up in the morning, I listen to that, uh, that song for a little while, usually for like a half an hour kind of on replay. And I look at the lyrics um, because I know that if I woke up with that song in my head, there's probably some reason for me to listen to it. There's some lesson or learning for me in that particular song. And so I listen to it over and over again. And like I said, sometimes it's it's just one song, you know, like I'll wake up one morning and and a song will pop in my head like it did. There was a there was a, a Genesis song. I can't even remember which one it was, but just one day it was this Genesis song. So I listened to that the next day. Nothing right. No more Genesis. I was getting other songs. Now, sometimes it'll be um, songs from a particular artist over and over again, like for the last couple of months. Uh, most of the days, probably 70 or 80% of the days that I've woken up in the last couple of weeks, uh, Eric Clapton has uh, been on my mind. One of his, his songs uh, has been going through my mind. So I've been listening to a lot of Clapton uh, recently. And maybe I'll talk more about him in one of the future episodes because a little, little trivia for you. He is the only person to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame three times, three times, right? So as, as a, a member of, of Cream, as a member of uh, uh, the Yardbirds, and also himself in his solo career. So he's the only one that's been in there three times. A lot of people have been in for, the, for one of the bands that they're in and then, and then them uh, personally. But yeah, he's the only one that's actually been two bands and uh, in himself personally. So maybe we'll talk about Clapton on a future episode. But today we're gonna to talk about this other band and you're probably sitting there like, come on, Jason, just tell me who is it, who is it, come on. All right, so here we go. So um, one of the songs that has been popping into my head the last uh, little while, last few weeks has been Looking Out My Back Door, uh, which is a song from Creedence Clearwater Revival, CCR. So you probably didn't realize, but they were actually the biggest band in the world in 1969. And I will explain why here in just a minute. Um, but like I said, that song has been coming into my head a lot uh, and, and knew that I wanted to do a podcast episode on this. But interestingly enough, for some reason, I just couldn't motivate myself to record the podcast. I was supposed to do it yesterday. Uh, but just didn't feel like it was the, the right time. And so last night, as I was flipping through my list in Netflix, I came upon, I kid you not, 
a documentary called Travel and Band, Credence Clearwater Revival. And so I knew I had to watch that last night. Now, it's a great documentary. If, you, if you're interested in it, it's out on Netflix. Uh, but another interesting fact is Jeff Bridges is the one who narrates it. So the dude himself from The Big Lebowski, right, one of my all-time favorite characters, uh, was uh, the narrator of it as well, which is kind of interesting, a little extra synchronicity. Um, but, you know, I, I think even just from that, uh, a little lesson that we can all learn is sometimes we try to force things to happen. And for some reason, we just don't quite feel like it, but we feel like it's kind of forced. And um, what if you just started allowing and allowed things to happen exactly as they should, right? So again, I could have forced myself yesterday to record this podcast because I had it on my list. In fact, it's been on my list for a few days to get done. And I could have forced myself to do it. I could have forced myself to do it yesterday. But the fact that I waited until today means it's going to be a better episode. Why? Because I came across a documentary last night, which reminded me of a lot of things and actually taught me some new things that I thought I would share with you as well. So that's first learning from today, right? Okay, so Creedence Clearwater Revival. Okay, you're probably familiar with a lot of their songs, uh, very iconic. Uh, and, uh, and, and wanted to start off kind of just talking a little bit about, uh, because I think sometimes there is a misconception that people who are successful are just lucky. They're lucky and it happens to them overnight. And I can tell you, especially in the music business and in most of life, that just ain't the case, okay? So these guys from Creedence Clearwater Revival, they were actually friends in junior high. And so they got together in junior high right, when they were teenagers, and they started playing music together. And so for 13 years, they actually played together before they became a commercial success. In fact, you know, they, they knew each other, they started playing some of the music that they, that they liked. And, um, and then along came the Beatles. So in 1964, the Beatles uh, were on the Ed Sullivan show, they saw that, and they went, wow, that's totally different, right? That's a different kind of music than what we've been playing. What if we, we like it? What if we start playing some of that? And so they started playing some of that kind of Beatlesque kind of music and uh, ended up getting a record deal. But the record company wanted them to, to use a name that sounded British. And so I think it was like the Gollywogs or something like that. Some stupid name. It was a stupid name. But they, they recorded uh, some, some songs um, under that band name. And in fact, they were known as that band name for several years, uh, kind of from the, uh, you know, for like 64, 65 through about 67. And then, you know, the Vietnam War was escalating and two of the guys from the band ended up in the military and serving in Vietnam and uh, came back in 68. Uh, and, uh, and they started making music again. And, uh, but at this time, they kind of said, you know what, we really need a revival in our music. We, we don't want to keep being, 
like this British boy band, <laughs> right? Like the Beatles were, I guess you could call them that, right? A British boy band. Uh, we want to make music the kind of music that we like, right? And so they kind of mix up the band a little bit, uh, in in not not in not in the people. It was still the same four people, uh, but um, they ended up kind of mixing it around. So John Fogarty took over as lead guitarist and uh, singer songwriter, and Tom ended up uh, becoming rhythm guitarist. And they moved Stu Cook from piano to bass and. Doug was always playing on the on, on the uh, drums anyway. So they kind of mixed up, right? They didn't change the people in the band, but they kind of changed the responsibilities of who did what in the band, right? And um, again, I think this is a great lesson for all of us is that sometimes maybe if you're a leader, people in your organization, uh, people that work for you, Maybe they're the right people for your organization, but they're not sitting in the right seat. They're not doing the right thing. And so even mixing up, you know, who's sitting where on the bus can sometimes uh, make a huge difference, which it did, in fact, for CC, CCR, okay? Now, when they started off, um, you know, they decided, well, look, we need to, what have other bands done that have made them successful? And they looked at a lot of the bands at the time and they said, you know what? A lot of them are doing covers of older music. And so they looked at it and, um, and picked a couple of songs uh, that, they, that they liked, Susie Q and I Put a Spell on You. So both uh, songs, I think from the 50s, uh, but was music that they really liked. And so they covered those, those songs. And those ended up becoming truly their first hits under the Creedence Clearwater Revival uh, band name. So, you know, again, they were looking around at what other people were doing, what was making other people successful, and they decided to do some of that, right? It's, it's not necessarily copying because they, they picked music that they liked. They didn't just cover, uh, you know, a Beatles song, they covered something that was music that they loved from 15, 20 years before, right? So they still made it their own. And if you listen to those songs, right, the way CCR performed those songs was different than the way the original artists did. They made it their own, right? Which again, is another learning for us. So they started having some success and then they decided, you know what? Let's start creating our own sound. Let's be the kind of band like we were, you know, when we were, before we became the Gollywogs or whatever they were called, right? Let's start recording some music that we write, that we like, that's original stuff. And so John Fogarty started uh, writing a bunch of stuff and they started kind of working together again to kind of create the sound that they wanted to. Now, again, I'm telling you, these guys didn't start in 68 or 69. They've been playing already for years together, right? They've been honing their craft. They've been working together. They've been building the chemistry in the band. And so this, their success did not come overnight. It came after years of hard work, years of you know putting in, doing the things that they needed to do until the time was right. And then success came very, very, very quickly, okay? So 
um, I think that's a, that's an important thing for us uh, to to think about. Now, if you're familiar with their music, it has a very kind of southern rock, bluesy kind of feel to it. And so, you know, again, even though I, I mean, I've been listening to CCR for 40, 40 years, <laughs> probably. Okay. I mean, their, their cassette that I got, um, you know, I used to belong to Sony and BMG, those little cassette things, you know, where it's like, get, get 15 cassettes for a penny. And then, you know, like for the next year you had to buy uh, overpriced cassettes, but anyway, it worked out. And I remember that theirs was one of the cassettes that I had. I think it was their Chronicles, their 20, 20 Greatest Hits or something like that that I listened to over and over and over again. In fact, I probably pretty much wore out that cassette tape. Uh, so I've been listening to them for a long time and kind of knew that feel uh, for the music, the, the topics, right, that they, that they were talking about. I always assumed uh, wrongly that they were from the South. No, they were not. In fact, it's four white guys from Northern California, okay? So interesting, huh, right? Uh, I never would have kind of put that together. And the funny thing is, uh, for example, like if you're familiar with the song Born on the Bayou uh, that John wrote, uh, it's a very descriptive of what it would be like to live in the bayou like in northern or in Louisiana some of those kind of areas and the funny thing was is John had never been there he was he just wrote that song right based on what he thought it would be like to be there but in fact it was very 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 accurate to what life on the bayou actually was which is interesting uh, it kind of shows, again, where some of the inspiration from the universe was probably coming through John. Uh, kind of in a similar way, I think I, I talked before about um, Joni Mitchell's song Woodstock and the fact that that song Woodstock actually captured the feel and the essence of Woodstock better than anybody who was at Woodstock. And Joni didn't make it to Woodstock, right? So again she was kind of channeling just like John was channeling some of these things coming through. So interesting. And, and why do I bring that up too? Because again, it's, you know, you know that I'm big on being yourself and being authentic to who you are. And so I find it fascinating and beautiful at the same time that four kind of nerdy white guys from Northern California who grew up loving black blues southern music right so muddy muddy waters and you know a lot of the people that were that were kind of the pioneers um, that actually a lot of the other rock rock musicians looked up to and kind of based their their music on in fact rock and roll is really based on uh, and has a lot of ties to the old rhythm and blues uh, and, and black music from the, from the South. So interesting again, that they, you know, for a while the record company wanted them to pretend like they were British and act like these kind of clean cut, somewhat clean cut boys, I guess, you know, everybody thought the Beatles were hippies because their, their hair, hair touched their ears. Uh, but they were, they were really rather clean cut compared with a lot of the other people at the time. 
but you know the guys from ccr decided you know what we're that's not who we are let's get back to the roots of the kind of music that we love and and so they chose to do that and created kind of a a new sound at least in my opinion of rock and roll uh with kind of this southern bluesy uh feel to it more so than some of the other artists at the time actually had been doing right and so they decided you know what we're just going to do what we love and the surprising thing is and the surprising thing that happens to all of us is when you just finally decide to do what you love great things happen great things happen. So again, John started writing the music, they started playing, and sure enough, they had hits. And uh, in 1969, a lot of the stuff really kind of took off for them. They had three or four albums at the time uh, that were top 10 albums. So three or four albums in one year that hit the top 10. And so, you know, again, I told you at the beginning of this that they were the biggest band in the world in 1969. And you might be saying, really, Jason, how is that possible? Well, they actually sold more albums than the Beatles in 1969. Okay. And at the time, the Beatles were pretty much assumed to be the, the, the biggest band in the world. Um, but something else interesting happened in 1969 was the Beatles broke up. And it was about at that time that CCR actually did their European tour and went off with great success in the UK uh, right after the Beatles kind of broke up as well. So again, you can you can disagree with me if you want to. There's a lot of scholars that, that believe that they are also uh, the biggest band in the world at that time. Um, but if you look at nothing else besides the, the record sales, they, they beat the Beatles. And so they kind of took over uh, that, that first spot. Uh, and in fact, we're one of the biggest acts at Woodstock as well. So anyway, why am I going there? Why are we talking about all of this stuff? Well, I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn uh, from this band. And also maybe even from the fact that many of you listening were thinking that somebody else was probably the biggest band in the world in 1969. And the fact that, you know, a lot of the things that we believe are actually not true. And, and when we, when we peel back, when we get the facts, when we look at things, uh, we can start to kind of question the world around us. And the more you start questioning the world around you, and the more you start just doing what you love and being authentic to yourself, great things happen. And that's exactly what we saw with CCR, right? They were kind of given a band name of the Gollywogs and you guys pretend like you're the Beatles, right? For a while, but that just didn't really resonate with them. That really wasn't aligned with them. And when they gave up what the world and what people thought was going to be commercial success for them and just did what they loved, right? Great things happened. And in fact, you know, one of the things that I, that I think was so, um, uh, so endearing about them as well is they sounded in concert like they did on the album okay and, and many of you are like well duh they're supposed to right no 
in fact, a lot of the artists, when they go into the studio, they create certain sounds that you can only make in the studio. And so the problem is, you know, people would listen to the records and then they would go to the concert and it would sound different, right? Because they didn't have all the mixing and overdubbing and all the other stuff that they had on the, on the, um, on the album. And so when they got to the concert, a lot of times people were disappointed because it's like this, they don't sound like they did on the record. Where CCR didn't do that. When they went into the studio, they were just, it was just the four of them playing. And so when they showed up in concert, wherever they were at in the world, and they started playing, they sounded like the record because they weren't trying to, how do you say this, right? embellish themselves on the album to make them sound better than they actually were okay they just showed up on the album as who they were they showed up in the concert for who they were in fact that that documentary i talked about it was really kind of explaining a little bit about the background of the band and showed part of their european tour uh, but the last part of it was their set list when they played at the Royal Albert Hall in London, which again is one of the iconic places. It's it's like the Carnegie Hall or or Madison Square Garden uh, in the U.S. That's that's the kind of venue that that Royal Albert Hall is in London. So for them to play there, it was a big deal. And what surprised me as I as I watched it is again they just showed up and they just played the music. Right. It was just no, no fancy setup. Uh, you know, John would go over and keep kind of tinkering with the amps and everything in, in between to kind of get the sound that he that he wanted. They didn't have a bunch of words as fillers. In fact, really, all that John would say is after a couple songs, he'd say thanks as he was wiping his face off and tuning his guitar again. And then they'd go and play again. Right. And and I I understand and I appreciate the the salesmanship the 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 entertainment value that a lot of people uh, put into their shows. I mean, there's some bands that are that are fabulous. You know, the the banter and the the interaction that they have with the fans is great, uh, and I enjoy it. But it, it was interesting to me that again, these guys showed up in concert just as who they were. They didn't need to fill with a bunch of stories or do that. They just came out and they played the music. And the music sounded like it did on the radio or and, and on the record, right? And, and I think, too, you know, it's... Um, I look at John Fogarty, who has a very distinct voice as well, right? And again, you could say he's a good singer. He's not a good singer, right? That's all up to personal uh, opinion. But he has a unique sound to him, right? And there are certain uh, artists that do, like Tom Petty had a, had, had a unique voice and a unique sound. Bob Dylan, same way, right? You know, they're, they're not these pretty boy, professionally trained, hit every note exactly, uh, but there's passion that comes out of it. And, and, and I remember the art cover for that uh that cassette that i had and it's it's really it's it's john's face as he's singing in concert with kind of a black background and i saw that a lot 
as they were kind of filming that concert in in London, you could see the same thing. But but in his face, there is a passion, uh, and you can just see it and you can feel it in his in his singing. Right. So again, are you doing what you love? Are you doing what you're doing with passion as well? Because I will tell you that shows up and you create something completely different when you do it from a place of passion, right? And again, even the way that he sang, uh, the, the, the way he would contort his face, uh, love, love it, love it, love it, love it, right? Because he just showed up for who he was. So anyway, that's a little bit about um, CCR. I also promise you that we're going to talk a little bit about looking out my back door, right? Because again, that is one of the songs that has been coming into my head a lot recently. And the interesting thing is, again, I've I've had some changes in my personal life the last the last few months. It's one of the reasons I've been a little little quieter on uh, creating. New podcast episodes, which has kind of changed. I've, I'm off hiatus that way. So we're going to be doing some more uh, new episodes now. But um, part of the reason for that, right, is because of some of these changes that have been taking place in my personal life. And so for a while, I have been joking and kind of threatening with uh, some of my friends I might have even said some things here on the podcast before in a joking and threatening way as well uh, to this fact that, you know what, I think I'm just going to retire, buy a cabin on the side of a mountain and go be a hermit. Okay. And so I've been, like I said, threatening and joking to do that for a while. And guess what? (laughs) I did it. So uh, it's it's not exactly uh, kind of what I had envisioned, but it's looking at it, it's exactly manifesting exactly what it was that I was looking for in ways that I had never quite imagined, okay? And so I uh, another one of the songs that kept coming into my head a lot was Midnight Train to Georgia, you know, which is a great song. I love love that song. But it it kept coming to me over and over and over and over again, uh, you know, four to six six months ago, something like that. No, probably even longer than that. I don't I don't even know. I can't keep a track. And the first line of that was, "L.A. proved too much for the man." And for a while, you know, I you know that I've been living in the Los Angeles area. I love L.A. I love California. Uh, but there was just a feeling that I that I kept getting that it was time for me to leave LA and it was time for me to leave California. And I fought that for a while, you know, because I, I love California. I love the LA area, uh, but it was, it has served its purpose and it was time for me to move on. But I was a little afraid to do that because I didn't know where I was going exactly. Right. And um and then a few months ago, you know, kind of got got the feeling spirit spoke to me that really the beginning of this year and very clearly uh, told me that I needed to move out of L.A. And the place that I was going to go was Sedona, Arizona. And at first I, I said, what, what, what? 
Sedona, Arizona is not one of those places that I would have necessarily put on my list of places to go live, but here I am. And in fact, you know, the place where I am, uh, where I'm living now uh, is on the top of a little hill surrounded by juniper and pine trees and has a feel of being in the mountains, even though I am in the middle of Sedona. So I am somewhat secluded uh, where I'm actually at. Uh, and in fact, I have a huge porch, okay, that runs east to west on, on my house. And so in the morning, I get up and I watch the sunrise on one side. And in the evening, I watch the sunset on the other side. And so I have started spending more time just looking out my back door and sitting literally on my porch. And I will tell you that getting out of the rat race and just sitting and meditating and sitting and contemplating and sitting and going within myself for these last couple of months that I've been living here has been exactly what I have needed. And again, it might not be what you need, right? You don't need to necessarily uproot and move someplace. But what if you started spending more time going within yourself? If you spent more time in stillness, if you spent more time sitting on your porch, and okay, if you don't have a porch, you probably have a patio or a backyard or a balcony, even if you're living in a high rise where you can go outside, be in nature, and just take some time to sit and relax, okay? And um, the more I've been doing that, the more things have been happening and activating in myself. Uh, and some of that I might get into in a future episode as well. But anyway, it's... Um, that's why we've got the title today, because Jason is just sitting on his front porch, uh, or you know, not looking out my back door because I'm on the porch. Uh, but I thought it was interesting because, again, as I go back and I, I, um, you know, look at the look at the lyrics to the song, okay. And uh, you know, if you're familiar with it, again, I won't pull out my guitar now because sometimes YouTube and other stuff freak out on that. Um, but if you listen to the words a little bit, right? Just got home from Illinois, locked the front door, oh boy. Got to sit down, take a rest on the porch. Imagination sets in and pretty soon I'm singing. Do, 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 looking out my back door. Okay. Uh, as I sit on my porch, imagination sets in. Sometimes I start singing because I'm listening to music as well, right? But what's interesting is that is the, the some of the other lyrics that are in here, right? There's a giant doing cartwheels, a statue wearing high heels. Look at all the happy creatures dancing on the lawn. Dinosaur Victrola listening to Buck Owens. Do do do, looking out my back door. Tambourines and elephants are playing in the band. Won't you take a ride on the flying spoon? Do 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 do. Wondrous apparition provided by magician. Do, 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 looking out my back door. Now, when I used to listen to that as a teenager, I used to think, 
John, what the hell are you doing? Those are like nonsense words, man. But the older I get and the more I sit on my porch and I tune with what's around me and with what's not around me in the physical, I can start to see my, as my imagination sets in things like giants doing cartwheels, statues wearing high heels, happy creatures dancing in the lawn, right? Tambourines and elephants playing in the band, right? When you let your imagination set in, it is amazing some of the things that you will start to see, some of the things that you will start to experience as you take that time. Now, some of you are saying, Jason, you're crazy. You're flying. You're, <laughs> you're riding on the flying spoon. You're snorting coke. You're doing drugs. No, I'm not but I'm experiencing some things that I've never experienced before. And they're things that any of us can actually experience too. So anyway, that's the episode for this week. So if you feel inclined to be looking out your back door or to take to heart some of the things that we talked about today and some of the, the learnings and ways that you can improve your life, ways that you can change your world around you, uh, please do it. If you don't, fine, it's up to you, right? It's entirely up to you on what you choose or choose not to do. Um, but as for me, I'm gonna continue to hang out on my porch. In fact, I'm heading out there right now. So with that, have a great week, everybody. And we will see you on the next episode. Ciao. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. The fact that you listened to this entire episode means you got value and others will too. Do me a favor and leave a five-star review with comments and then share with others. You can also check out all of my videos on my YouTube channel and my website, jasonmefford.com. This podcast is primarily for education and commentary and does not represent professional advice. Views and opinions expressed on this show are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.